Well, good morning, church. It is definitely a joy to be back after a couple weeks away. Uh, thank you for your prayers and for, uh, yeah, the, the time for me to be away. If you did not know or if you're a guest with us, I was uh, in India the last couple weeks picking up my son, uh, Zeke, and so we are back home. He is home with us, and we are now a family of six, and yeah, that's good news, and we praise God for that. Um, yeah, and uh, when I left the house this morning, he was asleep, so that was a good sign. That means he slept through the night, and uh, I slept through most of the night, so I mean, hey, we're like, we're full speed now, right? Um, I, uh, it, it was, you, I mean, I think you can, but uh, man, missing, missing the last couple Sundays for me was pretty difficult. So I had to have a really good reason to have to miss, right? And so uh, Zeke was certainly a good reason, but uh, I missed being with my church family uh, to celebrate Easter. I was so thankful that I was able to watch online, uh, that that is a gift. I'm thankful for that. It was uh, nighttime for me when, uh, when I was watching, uh, but thankful for Chris Vote as he shared the word so uh, clearly last week. Thankful for that and for God using him in that way. I'm going to do something different today in that it's going to feel a little bit like I'm going backwards, right? So if last week was the resurrection and right before that was Good Friday, uh, talking about the Lord's Supper, or specifically what we're going to talk about even is it like the Last Supper. Uh, it feels like I'm going backward on the timeline, and in some ways I am, don't worry. Um, like Jesus is still alive. Uh, he, he's still, like he came back from the grave, so, so he didn't go back in and any of those kind of things, but we're just going to go back in the, uh, in the time frame a little bit. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. It was several years ago, uh, I was, I was studying, preparing to teach on the Lord's Supper, and I was looking at the different uh, gospel accounts of this Last Supper when the Lord is, is Jesus is kind of establishing this as a, a new meal, not just Passover as or taught through on Wednesday night, but, but more. He was making a new covenant. He was establishing something new. And so I was studying that. And as I did so, I, I came to this chunk of scripture and realized there is a lot that happens in the time frame that they're in that upper room. Uh, and it, it just sunk in differently. I had studied John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 all before. But do you ever do that where you, you go to a part in Scripture and you, you study that part, but you forget the context that it's in? You forget where Jesus is when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or you forget when he, where he is when he says, I am the true vine. Well, what we're going to see this morning is that all of that is taking place around the table, around the time where, where all of, I mean, the, these men who've been following this right before he's going to go to the cross and, and a few days later, then defeat the grave. So, so if you would kind of stick with me, we're going to be flipping just pages, not multiple, like all over, but, but in these few pages, we're going to see, uh, just a beautiful picture of who Christ is and what he provides for us, what he gives to us, even through these 
what, I don't know if it was minutes, hours, like how long they were there, but that time that they were together at that last supper. It will also, I hope, prepare our hearts for our time together tonight as we have our family meeting before that spring picnic. We always conclude our family meetings with the Lord's Supper. So I hope that even this time this morning, you'll begin to prepare your heart all the more to receive the Lord's Supper tonight and celebrate what Christ has done for us. Uh, Y'all ready? We got several chapters, so if you're not ready, buckle up. We gotta, we gotta get ready, okay? So let's just start with the, the very beginning. John 13 says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So you get the picture, right? This is, they're, they're gathered together at this meal. Uh, we oftentimes, there, there is that uh, very formal uh, painting, right, where everybody's on one side of the table awkwardly, like nobody does that, but there's, it was good for the picture, right? So everybody's on, on that one side and, and they're sitting at a table and there's no indication that that's actually what it would have looked like, right? It, uh, we can imagine more like pillows and blankets kind of all on the floor uh, and kind of leaning on an elbow kind of thing. Maybe, maybe a small little table just inches off the ground uh, as they would pass food around, pass around the, the different elements. And so they're just, uh, you even hear words like reclining at table, right? So they're just kind of relaxing. This probably would have felt normal for them. Uh, but Jesus and Judas they know something's different. They know that something is different about this. Judas is thinking something's different because he's got a task he's got to do that he's committed to and that he is, it's already said that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray him. So this is, this is not something like when, when, we'll see this in a minute, but this is not that, oh, all of a sudden when Jesus and Judas dip into the same, that, oh, now Judas has decided he's going to do this. No, this was, this was already decided. But not only was that already decided, so was Jesus' decision, right? This doesn't happen for him in the garden a few hours later. It's not like all of a sudden he's like, hey, Lord, not my will, but yours. He's been saying that all along. In fact, already uh, Matthew did a, a really good job helping us see this triumphal entry a couple weeks ago. He had already turned his face to Jerusalem. He had already said, like, I'm headed to the cross. He had already made the decision. In fact, that's why he came in the first place, right? So it's not like all of a the sudden they're at a table and he's like, I, okay, I, I guess I'm going to have to do this now. No, no, this, this, is, this is the the climax. This has been the point to his entire life. And so what does he start with? This Jesus provided cleansing. Jesus provided cleansing. You see, Jesus washed the disciples' feet as a demonstration of servanthood, 
right? We know about that story. We know about this part. Certainly, I think many of us would. We would remember that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Look at verse four. He laid aside his outer garments, kind of taking off his jacket, so to speak, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him, right? That picture is certainly a picture of servanthood. We've heard this many times if you've grown up in church, but think about that. Uh, Again, I will probably have a lot of references to my last two weeks uh, because they've been pretty impactful. But uh, this, this week, Zeke wore shoes for the first time. Uh, he's only had flip-flops. It's super hot where he is. Like, it was 110 degrees several days while we were there. And, like, nobody likes that, right? Uh, and so they just, just run around in flip-flops all the time. And uh, so guess what? Zeke's feet were dirty. Shocker, right? Uh, my feet were dirty and I had shoes on. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just, it's just kind of dirty. And so think about that for them. The disciples' feet would have been dirty. Not, not just like, oh, nobody likes feet. But, I mean, they, they would have been walking around in dust-filled roads. And, and maybe they stepped in a mud puddle and, and they were just in sandals, Right? And so Jesus taking this opportunity is, is displaying a type of servanthood that's offering something unique. But notice this, Judas is at the table. Judas is there. Peter is there, right? Jesus knows we're gonna see this, but, but Jesus knows what Judas is going to do. Jesus knows what Peter is going to say about him, gonna deny him. Does he skip over them? Does he look to them and say, you know what, you guys, you, in, in, in a matter of hours, you're gonna really screw this up, so I'm not wasting my time serving you. Buddy, I am so glad. If that is any evidence about how, how, how he looks at me, I think sometimes, I've even heard recently uh, people say, like, be, be thankful, like, you're, you're like Judas. Man, I, I, I hope I'm not like Judas, I'm, I understand that I'm like Peter a lot, but, uh, but, but Peter comes back and confesses Christ as Lord. So may we be that way. Notice here that evil was produced in Judas already, right? Verse two, we already read that. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, but there was a plan prophesied by Jesus. So if you skip ahead to verse 21, it says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So this is even prophesied by Jesus that this is going to happen. And that we see that Satan was present in Judas, verse 27, right? After he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus even says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, Remember, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples to demonstrate, to show them what it looked like to be a servant. And he did so specifically with Judas's feet. It seems as a reminder, at least to me, what it looks like to love your enemies. The 
This is a significant picture, isn't it? There's certainly a part of it that deals with this, some kind of example of spiritual cleansing. That's why Peter even has this like adamant refusal and he says like, give me more. Like don't just wash my feet then and wash, wash all of me. Verse nine, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Like just pour it all over me. I, I want whatever you've got to give. Jesus assures Peter that he's already clean. Verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean. Again, he, he's pointing back to Judas when he says, but not every one of you. So even at the beginning of this time, there, there's this picture of, of cleansing. But then Jesus described his departing. I, I think about this so often. When we are looking at this text, I think this was brought up uh, last week, but when we are looking at this text, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? So we're looking back at the text because we know what happens in the rest of the book. Like we just had that celebration last week, right? So, so we know the rest of the story. But sometimes it feels like they should really be getting this, doesn't it? Like, he's, he's saying some things pretty pointedly. Why did they not pick it up? Like, I, I, I just don't get it. But, but again, he, he, he knows that the hour has come to depart, verse one. He knows that that's coming. And Jesus is going to leave in order to display his power. Have you thought about that? So if you turn to ver uh, chapter 16. You might have to turn a page or two. Verse 28, chapter 16, verse 28. He says, I, I came from the Father, have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Okay, sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? I am leaving. And then they're like shocked. Where'd he go? What did he do? Well, I, I already told you. I, like hours ago, I just said it to you. But he, he's doing something. He's, he's displaying that he has that kind of power to go to the Father. He's displaying. He's, he's staying for this moment to display his presence. He's, he's ex, ex, describing that he's going to be leaving. But there's something that he explains in these few chapters that particularly he expects from us and that he expects from these, these men around the table. And I believe that he is expecting of us today. Jesus expected love. So he is describing that he's about to leave. He's about to die. He's about to come back from the dead. Like they have, they have declared that, that has been known. This is not the only time. But, but now he's making sure that he understand, that we understand, the disciples understand there's something expected of you when all of this takes place. So chapter 13, verse 31. So, so maybe now turn back a page. That when he had gone out, Jesus said, 
now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. So we want to love others so that God is glorified. This is the idea. But, but catch this. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you ever heard that passage before? That they'll, they'll know us by our love? I, I believe that is absolutely true. Do you know what I think is part of the problem with that? Is we, we have, uh, we do work to love each other well. I, I tell you, uh, I am immensely blessed to be a part of this family of faith. I, I truly feel loved, cared for, supported, encouraged. I feel like my family feels that way. I hope that you feel that way as well. But for people outside of this family to know that that love exists, they have to hear about it. Does that make sense? Because if they're going to know us by the way that we love one another and they're on the outside, how are they gonna know about it? it? Something's going to have to happen. Either we're going to have to invite them in so that they too can be loved that way or we're going to have to use our words and explain to them that kind of love. Does that make sense? Like a lot of times what we do is we, we will own that big time. And y'all, I'm telling you, Colonial Heights does it really well. Not say it like, it's, yeah, it's the best I've experienced. I'll put it that way, okay? Uh, Colonial Heights loves each other well. Like you, you provide meals for each other. You pray for each other. We care for each other. We are, we are there when times are hard. We're, we, we cry with each other. We weep with each other. We celebrate with each other. Like it is, it is family. Uh, the Welchers call it a tribe, right? This is like, this is the group that you need each other. And I am abundantly grateful for that. What, what I think we need to work on, and this is probably all churches, but we need to work on getting the word out. And this is what it's about. And this is what we're doing. Hey, hey, community around us, we, we love so well that we want you to be loved too. We, if, if you wanna know what, what Christ's love is like, be, be at Colonial Heights with us. There are other churches, by the way, that share the love of Christ, but we, we have the responsibility in this one. Does that make sense? And so, so I just wanna, I want you to see that Jesus expected this of, of them and therefore expects it of us. We might actually have to get a little bit out of our, or a lot bit out of our comfort zone and share that very love, or they won't know us by our love. You, you might know about our love, and somebody else around you might know about this love, but in order for the world around us to know about our love, we have to tell them. In that, then, Jesus provided something so significantly important. Jesus provided hope. Hope can never be underestimated. The need for hope, the need that we have, we're always longing to know, to, to have this. And so Jesus provided hope. 
in chapter 14, we see this particularly because Jesus has prepared a place for his people. He says in chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I don't know how many funerals I've been to. In my line of work, you can imagine I've been to several, preached several, graveside services, memorial services. And this passage is often, if not, I mean, it's not always, but it's, it's often referred to. Why? Because in a grieving, sorrowful, sad time, how does, how does the passage start? Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. Don't grieve the same way. Yes, grieve the loss of your loved one, but, but trust. For those who are in Christ, this is hope. I was watching uh, just this morning a clip from Billy Graham, and he was reminding people that thinking upon death is actually a good thing. Thinking upon death is not a problem. Being fearful of death when you know Christ makes no sense. These, these three testimonies that we just heard, they don't fear death anymore, church. Young and old, why? Because there's hope. Not just kind of a, a wishful thinking that something on the other side will be good for them. No, they are confident. There is a confidence in them that says, I, I have a guaranteed, promised inheritance from Christ alone, who is, by the way, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And I, I trust in him. I follow him. I know him. So I hope in him, I hope in the eternity, this place that has been prepared for me. Now there is a, a place that is described, this place called heaven, and it, I am confident it is glorious in all of its ways, but if it were a concrete slab with Jesus, it would be worth it. It would be worth all of our hope, putting all of our surrender, all of our life in it, because Christ himself dwells there. I told you that I would be referencing some of my time in the last few weeks. And I went to, toured three different temples of three different false religions in India this past week. Uh, all of which are designed for the worship of false gods. The largest Sikh temple in the world, the largest Hindu temple in the world, the largest Baha'i temple in the world. The man that took me was our guide. He said something very interesting to me when I was sharing the gospel with him. He is Hindu. And I shared with him John 14, 6. He said, yes, I have heard that before. I believe it. And I said, well, how are you still Hindu? When we walked into the temple, you bowed. He said, well, my religion 
says that uh, speaks of these gods. But my belief is what you say. And I said, well, you can't have both. Because what we see here is that this is it. The, there's, just, there's just the way. There's just the truth. Graciously, he asked actually if uh, I would, would teach him the next few months. And so our plan is to try to have some of those conversations over FaceTime. And so if y'all would be praying for me and for Monty that uh, he would hear the truth and uh, respond to it. Um, but I don't know if that's you today. It's unlikely that you're here today from India and a Hindu, but it's possible that you have thought there's another way. It's possible that you've been thinking, you know what, like if I'm just good, I show up to church every week, if I just check the boxes, if I just do the thing. I want you to know this. Jesus didn't die on the cross and come back to life just so that you could have some other way. There is no other way. And, and he conquered the grave. Jesus has overcome the world. This is what chap, chapter 16, he actually gives, he tells. He said uh, in verse 25 in chapter 16, I've said these things to you in uh, figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But, listen to this, take heart. I have overcome the world. Church, like, life's going to be hard. Did you know that? If you didn't hear that from your dad growing up, I'll tell you. Life is hard. It's not fair. I get it. Life is tough. But Jesus tells us that. He doesn't say life's going to be easy because you follow me. Life's going to be hunky-dory. He says, hey, the world, you will have tribulation. You will have hardship. Life will be hard. But take heart because I've already won. So we don't, we don't walk around hoping for victory one day. We live in victory now. This is, this is what it looks like for us to celebrate Christ's resurrection Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's not a one time a year. That's why it's okay that I was gone last week because I got to be back this week to celebrate it again. Right, we don't have, like, this is not just a one time thing. Oh, that's the only time we celebrate the resurrection. No, it's an everyday, all day kind of joy. He has overcome the world. Okay, we gotta go. Uh, 
here's, here's, like, this is a game changer, right? Everything changes because he defeats the grave. And then he does something absolutely miraculous for us in that Jesus promised the helper. He's not just leaving us alone. He's just told them, I'm going away. I'm going to the Father. If you've been walking with Jesus for three years, you've been seeing him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And then he says, I'm leaving. And don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But that's all you got? Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't your heart be troubled? Wouldn't that be scary? Like, hey, what about the, what about the miracle? Like, how's that going to work out? Like, how? Uh, I've been, I've been totally good following you. I left my nets. I left my job. I, I'm following you, but you, you're leaving. But Jesus does something so great. He promised the helper. And what the Spirit does for us, what the Spirit provides for us, is stunning. The Spirit will rescue. Look at, ah, oh, 14, 18. If you are one who underlines circles, this would be a good one to. Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Just a side note, obviously, maybe you have heard our story. You've been following along the last three years or so. Maybe you've heard the stories of other. There's a dozen or more uh, in our church. And maybe today you are continually hearing of stories like ours of adoption and you are wondering Maybe you are thinking that you too should be a part of the adoption journey. I want to invite you to do just that. I, I do. I, I pray that adoptions will abound. I pray that there will be more. And I pray that, uh, that it won't just be because of a story like ours, but it'll be because of the, the story after story after story that we see. Uh, it's worth it. It's worth the wait worth the heartache and the hardship and the difficulty. Uh, and so, in fact, uh, when, we could, when we're like in our invitation time, so to speak, if that has been on your heart or you have questions about that, or maybe you just want to pray about that, or you want somebody to pray for you in the decision counseling room, I just want to ask you and your uh, spouse or whatever, if y'all would just walk there and somebody will just pray for you. You can write your name down and somebody from kind of our hearts of compassion group people, I'm committing us to this, will contact you in the next few weeks to just say, how can we pray for you? What can we do for you? And uh, I did that without asking them. So I'm not looking over that way at them right now. Uh, but I think they'll say yes to that. So, um, we, we will, now we want to walk through this journey with you. But let's go back and remember how significant the Spirit is for us. Those, those temples I went in, they're literally like the only place 
uh, that some of those false gods reside. It's literally an idol. Like, you know how you hear about idols? And then, then in America, everybody's just, oh, well, there's not really idols. There's just like the idols in your heart and blah, blah, blah. No, these are like actual giant golden structures. It's the only dwelling place. I, maybe a little snarkily, that's not a word, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, as I walked through those temples, I just sang, our God is greater. And catch this. We, as followers of Christ, we are the dwelling place of the one true living God. The, the ornate detail of these false gods' temples are stunning, but they will crumble. See, the Spirit will teach. 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things. The Spirit will convict. Chapter 16 says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Spirit will guide. 16.13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I know that uh, as Southern Baptist, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, everybody gets a little bit nervous, uh, like a little twitch. What are we about to do? Uh, you know, we've got to embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've got to embrace the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in us, that we might be, he would use us, that we could be a vessel for him. God, like, may we as a people celebrate this marvelous, helpful gift. Like, this is what is to cause us to not be afraid. This is what, I will be with you. When like all of the commands are possible because the spirit of God dwells in us. We need him. This is why then Jesus addresses specifically abiding. Chapter 15, right? Abiding in Christ brings about this good fruit and reconciliation. Chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But when you abide alone, and you just live on your own, you just bring death and condemnation. Because what happens? If you're not abiding in Christ, you're thrown away like a branch and wither, thrown into the fire and burned. Oh, may we, may we rest, this word abide, to rest in Christ. Linger, be saturated with the beauty of Christ. Finally, in chapter 17, Jesus offered prayer. And he prays what is described as the high priestly prayer. And uh, there's enough in any one of these chapters for an entire sermon. Chapter 17 is certainly worth a whole sermon. We'll have to do that another day. But briefly, let me say, 
what Jesus prays for is that the people will glorify God endlessly. Right, I glorified you on earth, verse four, having accomplished the work that you gave me. This is him praying to God. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He prays that the people would receive the good news effortlessly. Verse eight, for I've given them the words that you gave me that they have received them, have come to know in truth, and I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Jesus is asking them to, asking God that the people would know who God is. He's asking God that people would grow spiritually. Verse 13 through 19. He's asking God that the gospel will spread continuously. He says, I, verse 20, do not ask for these only, but, I, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They may all be one. As Jesus prepares the disciples for his upcoming death, the, the pain of his departure, you kind of wonder, what will they need the most? He's, he's preparing them. What, what are they going to need? One commentary said that the, the need is the same thing every generation of disciples need. It's not another pep talk, not another good speech, rally the troops. It's a deeper knowledge and understanding of the richness of the gospel. What is it that we need, church? We need to know the gospel more. We need to rest in the truth and the richness of God's saving grace in our life. So I wonder, do you know this one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Have you trusted in him for your salvation? Placed your hope and faith? You rest in him? When you do that, you, you turn away from everything else. That's repentance. Turning away from, so you're rejecting all the other things that life has to offer. I mean, that sounds pretty terrible, rejecting all the things that life has to offer. Because you're getting a new, abundant life. All of this was surrounding a meal, right? Surrounding this, this Lord's Supper, where bread representing his body broken for them, and blood representing, I mean, and wine rep representing the blood spilled for them and for us. As you prepare for tonight. Maybe it'll have a different meaning. Not a different, maybe a more significant meaning. As you consider all that would have taken place around that meal that first time. As you consider the gift of the gospel. As you consider the, the richness of the way, the truth, and the life. So there's three ways that you can respond. And I, wanna, I want you to consider these three ways. One, you can do nothing, right? That's, a, that's an option. You can ignore all that you've heard today. You can reject Christ. You can reject the truth. You can reject, uh, you, can, you can act like Judas. You can go your own way. You can follow your own path. 
I would strongly urge you to not do that option. But I can't pretend like it's not one. A second option is that today you would choose Christ. That you would maybe in choosing Christ today, you're gonna surrender your life entirely to him. You've never done that. You've never turned away from your sin and yourself and your plan and trusted in Jesus today. Make today that day. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow might not be here. Don't wait for tonight because tomorrow might not, not be here. Do it right now. Choose Christ. Maybe you're choosing Christ is, a, is this surrender to adoption. Taking that step. Maybe you're choosing Christ is, is to set out to follow through with the work of evangelism to letting people see and hear and feel the love that they are to know us by. Maybe it's a surrender to, to give financially. We're, we're saying we're gonna do whatever it takes to make Christ known. Are you a part of that? Like, are, you, are, you, are you joining in? What is that? What does choosing Christ then look like? In all of those, uh, like an actual step, right? Sometimes we, we need those, what, what do I do now? I would say any one of those, maybe even saying we wanna be a part of Colonial Heights, any of that, as, as we are standing, just a minute, make your way to this room and just say, like, I'm here to, to make this decision. Sometimes we just need that actual step, assigning a card, filling out a thing, not, not because it does something magical, it's just a step of obedience for us. So take that step today. And a third option would be this, ask for help. Maybe you just don't know. Maybe you just got questions. Maybe, maybe that's what you need to do in the counseling room is ask, ask some questions. Those, those can certainly be sought out. But the song we're about to sing is a song of a prayer. It's, it's really asking this of the Lord. It says, Lord, teach me to abide. Maybe you just need to ask God to help you abide. Right, there's uh, just last week when Chris was talking about it, it's, it's not about how much faith you have, it's who you have faith in. So maybe you come today and you just say, God, I, I don't have a lot of faith, but what I've got, help me have more. Help me trust you more. Help me abide in you, rest in you, follow you. I wanna, I wanna surrender, I just, I don't know how, so help. Our, our Father in heaven is always, always there to help those who ask. So, so ask for help. Would you stand with me as we respond? Whatever the way the Lord is leading you, respond to him now.